Today, I want you to think about this question. What do we do when we need something? Okay, when we just, we have a need. That idea is not a special occurrence. We have needs all the time, right? Every day there's something that we need at one time or another. And so when we need something, what do we do? Typically, as humans, we're wired to figure out what we need to do to meet that need, right? And so this morning, when we see a problem with the guitar, Pastor Jay is immediately thinking, how do I fix this? What's the best way to handle this right now? Um, I remember a story from my childhood where my parents had a stack of old glass Pepsi bottles in the garage. And me being around three, I don't know, maybe around Jocelyn's age, I thought, what do you do with the glass bottle? Well, the only thing I ever thought of was you put a message in it and, you know, send it in the water, right? A message in a bottle. So I thought, let me get some messages. I started scribbling and I wrapped them up and stuck them in the bottles. Okay, it didn't even have a cork, so if I threw it in the water, it was probably going to sink. But I realized I don't live in Florida. I live in Illinois. There's no water around me. Okay, I can't just go over to the coast and throw these out there. I got maybe a puddle. So I had nowhere to send these messages, nowhere to put the bottles. But it dawned on me, if I don't send these anywhere, no one's going to get these messages. So I decided, how do I fix this? And three-year-old me, the best idea I could think of was, I can't get the message out, so I'm going to throw the bottles on the driveway. I know they will smash apart, and then I can get the papers, get the messages out, and they'll be safe. Now, just in case it's not clear, especially to the younger people in here today, that was not the best answer that I could come up with, okay? That was not the right thing to do. It was what I thought was the best thing to do for that situation. Now, obviously, that's a fairly trivial example, okay? Not a, not a big situation there in my young life. But think about our lives and what happens when the needs get really desperate. Okay, so I'm not just talking about I need a new shirt because I spilled on it. Okay, that's, that's an easy one. I need food, so I'm going to start crying during the sermon. That happens, right? That's natural. It's a need, and it's going to be met. But when we get really desperate needs, you know, maybe you're fighting depression. Okay, I wasn't joking. I'm getting into serious things here. If you're depressed, maybe you find happiness in food or TV, binging your favorite show. Maybe you, you deal with anger. You get very angry at people who don't do things right or do them your way, and you lash out at the closest person near to you. You take it out on somebody close. Maybe you're anxious. You're worried about everything. And at the end of the week, all you can do is drink to forget your worries. Maybe it's a health situation. You just want relief, anything to feel better. And in all of these, you're not sure 
if it's the right answer, but it's the best answer you can think of. You know, the Bible tells us stories like this too. People in desperate situations where they just need something to happen for them. And they try to figure out that best answer. They go after it. In the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah wanted nothing more than just a baby. They were getting really old. They had no baby. God promised them a baby. It still wasn't coming. And they weren't sure what his timing was. And so Sarah convinced Abraham to take her servant as his wife to give him a baby. That was the best answer she could think of in that situation. We even see this in the New Testament, in the Gospels. There's a story where Jesus is talking to a rich young ruler. Okay, that's what they refer to him as. And the Bible says that he's asking Jesus about eternal life. And so he's even in the right place. He's talking to Jesus about this need. And Jesus says, the only thing you haven't done is to sell everything you have and give to the poor and follow me. Okay, he's basically telling him, give up what you have to follow me. This is the time where he's got disciples, he's training these people, and he wants this guy to join him. And the Bible says that the young man went away very sad because he had great possessions. Jesus gave him the answer to his situation. But for the young man, it didn't seem like the right answer. Not to him. And these particular stories don't have a happy ending because these people attempt to fix their problems on their own and it just turns into more problems or consequences or complexities. But in the life of Jesus, we also see stories where people need an answer and so they come to Jesus because they have no other options. They know they need something, they don't know what to do, and they decide the best thing they can think of is to go and see Jesus. At this time, he's working through the the region, right? He kind of keeps moving around. And they hear about these amazing things happening, and they say, we need to go see this guy. Maybe he can help fix this situation. In our series, The Example... The example for today is of Jesus doing extraordinary things for people who believe in him. So today I want you to look, we're going to see a couple simple ideas, but first let's read this story. It's in Luke chapter 5. If you have it on the version, um, it's in our, our sermon, our service uh, settings there, and also you can just pull up Luke 5. We're going to start in verse 17. The Bible says, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But... Finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, Jesus said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, 
Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your thoughts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he turned to the man who was paralyzed and said, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. And so our topic, like I said, is from that last verse, extraordinary things. And we're going to look at that today, but first let's pray. God, thank you so much again for your love and your goodness to us. Thank you for this place where we can come together and worship you and open your word and see what you'd have to teach us today, God. I pray that you would just fill me with the words that you want everyone to say. Help me not to say anything that you don't want and help me only to say the things that we need. I pray that you would just fill us with your spirit and Just bless us with the word that's put in front of our eyes today. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we consider this story, it is not surprising that Jesus is doing something extraordinary. Right? That's that's kind of commonplace in the Bible. The fact that he uh, is doing this, I've often settled for the simplest answer when I look at a story like this. Well, he's God. That's true, right? And that does explain it. But it, it it's, feels like an oversimplification at times. But when we look at it, we think, oh, Jesus healed her. Like, amen, hallelujah, praise God, right? And we move on to the next story. So today I want to look at this story just a little bit deeper because there's some simple truths here about how Jesus does these things. It's definitely not some scholarly effort to sit here and and pull these out of this passage. But I just want us to look at it together and think about it for our lives. And so first we're going to look at a simple breakdown that shows us how Jesus does extraordinary things. Okay, just how they happen. And so if you look at multiple stories throughout the Gospels, you'll see these things happening in each story. And today we're going to pull them out of this story of Jesus hearing healing the paralytic. So number one, Jesus is always willing. Okay, Jesus is always willing. Look at this situation, okay? Jesus had returned home to his city. He's surrounded by a crowd, okay? And he's preaching. He's teaching the people. The Pharisees and the scribes are there. Like, everybody is there to hear Jesus. Okay, now picture this. If somebody walked in here right now and interrupted me with something that needed to be taken care of, that's not a very big deal, right? Nobody's really that worried about interrupting me. Let's just be honest. A couple of us might look at them funny, like, what is going on? You know, like, but uh, overall, we wouldn't be that worried about it. But in this story, we're not talking about me, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is teaching. 
to this entire group of people. And think about it. Every single one of his sermons is tied for the best sermon ever. Jesus never had a dud. Jesus never went out there and said a couple things and they were like, really, that's it? Every story you hear about his teaching is that it's amazing. It's speaking with authority. They say all these things about his, his teaching that you know you don't want to miss it. And so as he's teaching, you know, there's a group of people surrounding, probably out in the street of this area, and, you know, there's commotion and some people, you know how in, in cartoons when you're going through a crowd, the crowd, like, moves as they're going through. And all these people are getting pushed out of the way. They're trying to get this man in his bed to Jesus. But there's so much going on that they can't. And so as Jesus is still teaching, all of a sudden you start to hear footsteps on the roof, you know, clomping around. And then it says that the tiles in the roof start to come apart. They're ripping open a hole in this ceiling. And then all of a sudden, a guy just comes down. They're, they're just like lowering him on a rope or something right onto the floor in the room in front of Jesus. All of this is going on while Jesus is teaching. And yet, this incredible interruption is allowed by Jesus. He doesn't say anything against it. He doesn't stop to correct them. He doesn't scold anybody. In fact, Jesus sees what's happening. And as soon as the man is there, his response is, your sins are forgiven. Jesus wasn't offended at being interrupted. Instead, he showed patience. And this is something he did regularly. And it happened so much that his, one of his disciples, Peter, wrote some parts of the Bible later on in his life, and he said, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Jesus didn't want anyone to go without the healing and the forgiveness and the comfort that they needed in their lives. And so no matter what is going on, Jesus is always willing to do something extraordinary. It's just whether or not he's taken up on that. The second thing is that Jesus always knows what is needed. In any situation, he knows what each person needs, and he knew that here in this situation. Verses 21 through 23 tell us that he knew what the scribes were thinking about and saying against him. You know, it doesn't say that they're standing right there questioning him. It says he perceived their thoughts. And so he knew that, and he, not only did he understand that, but he challenges that thinking. He knows that it's wrong, and he tells them, why do you question in your hearts? Why are you questioning me? Now, history tells us that the scribes and the Pharisees hadn't really figured out who Jesus was. We know from the Bible that some of them do. They kind of put that together, and we know they participate in burying Jesus and different things where they were followers. But for the most part, they did not acknowledge him, and so he's showing them, hey, you're not in a position to question me. And he, calls, he refers to himself as the Son of Man, which to them would have been a clear indication 
that he knew he was from God and that he was God. And they didn't agree with that. And so he tells them, guys, you're wrong. Okay, I'm here to heal and to forgive. But what he says is, um, man, your sins are forgiven. And they think, how can he just forgive sins? But as soon as he saw that paralyzed man, he saw their faith. Okay, he saw the man's faith. And regardless of the questions, he offers that man forgiveness. He knew they needed to be challenged in their thinking, but he also knew that the man that came through the ceiling needed forgiveness. He needed his sins forgiven. So if you notice here, we're talking about a man who can't walk. And the story tells us, you know, spoiler alert, a few verses later, that he's healed. But the first thing he does is he offers him forgiveness. He prioritizes forgiveness. And we see that the physical healing came second. We often think that Jesus might not know the answer for our problem. The need in our life feels so great that there isn't an easy answer. But you can bring any situation to Jesus because he always knows exactly what is needed. And he knows, even in the story, it shows us the order that you need it in. So he's always willing. He knows what's needed. And number three, Jesus is always able. In verse 20, Jesus offers the paralyzed man forgiveness. And in verse 24, he turns back to those scribes. He's saying, why are you questioning me? But so that you all know I have the authority to forgive this guy, I'm also going to heal him. And then he turns and he does. He just says, get up. And the guy stands up immediately. The Bible says that word immediately. The man stands up and walks home. Jesus was able to completely forgive that man's sins and then to completely heal the paralysis in his legs. Matthew 19.26 says, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It's because Jesus is God. He's able to do anything. And there's so many stories like this in the gospel where Jesus does something extraordinary to forgive someone, to heal someone, to comfort someone. But the most extraordinary thing he did was to surrender himself to the death on the cross, where he took the sins of the world upon himself and he died so that those who trust in him could be forgiven. And he was buried and rose again to give us eternal life in heaven with him. And this story today, this one story, mirrors what we see in the gospel. Okay, when it was time for Jesus to die, he was willing. The Bible tells us that multiple times he's teaching the disciples and says, my time is short, my time is coming. I don't have much time left with you. And so Jesus knew what was coming at the end of his earthly life, and he was still willing to do it. Nobody forced him. The night he was arrested, those soldiers didn't hold him. He went willingly. And he also knew what was needed. Every step of that Passion Week, when we read through it, it's so frustrating because it's just complete like injustice happening. Jesus did nothing wrong, and they arrest him, 
and they beat him. There's a trial that is just, you know, a phony. And then he drags his cross through the city. They finally nail him to it, and he hangs there and dies. He knew all of that was needed. That's the only reason for any of it. It was all necessary. But he was also able in that situation. He accomplished exactly what he set out to do, and he didn't need anybody's help. There were no half measures. It was just Jesus knowing what had to be done and being able to do it. Those are the same three uh, things we see here in Luke 5. We could say maybe it's to a lesser degree, right? It's a lot less taxing on Jesus to heal someone than it is to be, you know, beaten and put to death. But we see the gospel in action in Jesus' ministry. The answer that Jesus provides to a situation always starts with the gospel. He knows the most important thing each of us need is forgiveness, regardless of what's going on. And that is not to downplay the situation that's going on. But he knows that our spiritual need is much more important than our uh, physical need or our mental need. It doesn't matter how healthy your body is or how mentally fit you are if you have no trust in Jesus and spend eternity apart from him. And the Bible tells us that this example that Jesus provides is that the spiritual need outweighs the physical. And he performs those uh, solutions, he meets those needs in that order. But the example provided by Jesus isn't the only example we see in this story. There's a couple other examples of people participating in this story. And the cool thing is, this is the part where we can picture ourselves. Okay, When we're talking about what Jesus does, we can't do that. We can do our best, you know, I could be willing to do something, but I can't do it like Jesus. I might be able to help somebody with a need. Maybe they need me to hold a, a board in place while they do all the hard work. I could do that, but that's not the same as what Jesus is doing to heal somebody who can't walk. But we know Jesus can do extraordinary things, and we want to see what does that mean for us. We know he does it. We've seen a little bit how he does it. And even though we know that, we don't always ask him. We don't always try him. We often try to fix something ourselves, don't we? But I want to finish today with this. How we can see Jesus do extraordinary things. So we looked at how Jesus does them, but how can we see that? How can we see something like that in our lives? When this paralyzed man comes to Jesus, all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record this story. They all say that the first thing Jesus does is acknowledge the man's faith. He sees his faith before he speaks to him. That's what initiates this extraordinary healing. We must have faith in Jesus alone. That's what it tells us. We must start, we must have faith in Jesus alone. 
When we come to Jesus for forgiveness and comfort, it takes faith. Sometimes it may not be a lot of faith. It might just be a little, just enough to get us there. But if we have zero faith in Jesus, we wouldn't even be trying to bring ourselves towards him. We wouldn't be looking to him for an answer if we're at zero faith. Like I said, sometimes we put our faith in whatever solution we can think of. And I'm afraid that's exactly what happens, is that sometimes we don't give Jesus a chance because we don't have faith in him. We have faith in some other avenue. Or we have more faith in that than we do in Jesus. Think about that. All that we've seen Jesus do, whether it's in your own life, or a family member, or just reading about it in the Bible, we have moments of no faith despite all that proof that Jesus is able to do something. <clears throat> multiple times, <clears throat> excuse me, multiple times we see Jesus heal somebody, and he says to them, your faith has made you well. The woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears, he says to her, lady, your sins are forgiven. All it tells us about her is that she was a sinner. She wasn't paralyzed or blind. She didn't need any of that. She was just a sinner. And she worshipped at his feet because he forgave her. Uh, Bartimaeus was a, a guy that was blind in Israel. And he cried out for help. And Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years this situation is going on for her. And she says to herself, all I want to do is be healed. And that brings us to our second, we do whatever it takes to be near to Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood, she said, if I could just get close to Jesus, I don't even have to talk to him, but I know he could heal me. That's how much faith she had in him. And so if our faith, even just a little, bit of faith is in Jesus and we give him that chance he will draw us to him we will want to be near him the woman that I mentioned with the the issue of blood she f had faith in Jesus because of that she said if I get close he can heal me we don't take that approach to our situation if I just get closer to Jesus he can help me. He can comfort me. He can heal me. Imagine how our lives might look different if that were true. If I have just enough faith in Jesus to say, all I need is to get closer to him and he'll help me. That would change how I deal with a lot of situations. To be honest, that kind of faith is what takes a lot of us to church on Sunday. If I'm being honest, that's the one thing I think most people do right is I just need to go to church because Jesus is there. The second option is I just need to tick off the box on my to-do list of going to church. <laughs> it's one or the other. And sometimes we go just because we have to. But when we go because Jesus is there and we could see, we just want to be closer to him, that desire to be near to him draws us into the word, into prayer, that time spent together not only builds our relationship with him but he sees our faith and he says to us you're forgiven you're comforted you're healed 
whatever our situation is. And we experience that for ourselves. And we know there's nothing better than that um, for us. And we can do that for others as well. And that's our third and final thing as we wrap up. We must do whatever it takes to bring others near to Jesus. The other example in this story are the four friends. They're carrying this man on a bed. Okay, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't like a, a giant Serta mattress kind of bed, but it's still four guys trying to carry a, another guy on a bed. That's, that's a lot of work. They're trying to get through a crowd. There's no way in. They're, they're just trying to get to Jesus. They can't figure it out, and so they're like, we can't go through everybody, let's go over them. And so they go on the roof and just start tearing it apart to make a hole for this guy to go in. It's a lot of work going on. But it was worth it for them to see their friend finally get to Jesus and to be forgiven and to be healed. Whenever this story was told, maybe those friends would say, hey, I was there. I carried him. I lowered him through the roof. You almost dropped him on his neck. But even better than that, they just point at their friend and they say, look, he's standing here with us. He couldn't do that before. But then we saw Jesus. Look at what he did. All of that was because they did their work just to get their friend near to Jesus. When we come to church and we see Jesus in our song, in the words, even when the music is weird, we see Jesus in our preaching. We want to bring people to church to see Jesus. But what about on Tuesday? There's no church on Tuesday. What about Friday afternoon? You have a friend who has a problem. What do we do for them? You need help with your kids. They're just driving you crazy. What do you do? You have a fight with your spouse. What do we do then? If we've been near to Jesus, then we'll know we have to get everyone in this situation closer to him. We just need to go and see him. Jesus has to be in our lives for us to show him to other people. If I haven't been with Jesus, everyone who looks at me isn't going to see him. When I look at you guys, am I seeing Jesus in your actions? And then expand that out to the people we come across all week long. Do they see bits and pieces of Jesus? Are you patient? Are you willing to help? Are you kind? They have to know where Jesus is. And they, to do that, they have to see us. And then the, that's what will draw them in. It reminds me of a story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with this. Um, this is not a story about me breaking glass bottles, but it does involve snow, so warning. I know Floridians don't like snow. That's why we live here, right? But two boys were playing in the snow when one said to the other, let's see who can make the straightest path in the snow. You know, footprints. And they agreed and they, just, they started out. And the one boy fixed his eyes on a tree and he just kept going towards that tree. And the second boy, you know, next to him, looks at the same tree and starts going. And the second boy stopped a little bit, turned around to check his line, turned around and kept going, got a little further, 
stopped, checked what his line looked like, looked at his line, you know, checking everything to see if it lines up. And then when they get to the, the stopping point, they turn around and one path was true as an arrow and one path was all zigzaggy. The second boy says, how did you get your path so straight? And the first boy said, I set my eyes on the tree and kept them there until I got to the end. While you stopped and looked back and looked at me and looked around and wandered out of your course. This is a perfect picture of the Christian life. We have to fix our eyes on the hope and our trust and our faith all have to be in Jesus. When we follow Jesus as our example, others will see that in their lives. And that's what we need to do for people who need to be healed, who need to be forgiven, who need to be comforted. They'll see that little bit of Jesus in our life and they'll bring their problems to us and we'll know exactly what they need. And it's not what we can do. It's what we can help them with to get to where they need to be. We can be like the friends in the story. We can help carry them. We can work through problems with them. We can tear open barriers that block them from getting to Jesus. And it can be a lot of work. But if we get them near to Jesus, it's so worth it. There's no other work as satisfying as helping others get to Jesus and finding what they need there. But we ha- like I said, we have to have been there ourselves. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been there and you just, you have a problem. I would challenge you, turn to Jesus. Go, you know you've been there. You've, you've experienced it before. But maybe you haven't. Maybe your problem is something you've been dealing with. Maybe your life's just been difficult. Maybe you haven't tried Jesus before. If you would just give him a chance. You know, all these things we try in our life, it always seems so like, oh, I can handle this. It's in my control. We just stop for a second and give Jesus the chance to help us. Maybe we could be like the people in this story in verse 26. And it says that they glorified God. And they were filled with awe. And they said, we have seen extraordinary things today. I want to see that in my life. I want to see that in this church. And if we just put our faith in Jesus, we draw near to him, we help others get there too. We can see extraordinary things happen. Let's pray.